Good morning. Hope you're doing well. <clears throat> Glad you're here. Uh, we're in Matthew 13. We've been in Matthew, the book of Matthew, for, I don't know, a long time. So, and we're probably going to be in there a while longer. Uh, the way we want to do, uh, I guess, studying through the Word here at Remedy is just take a, a book of Scripture and just go verse by verse through it, and then when we're done, go to the next one. So, uh, this is, we're about three years old, and I'd say this is probably our fourth book we're going through, so... Pretty good pace. Not bad. Hope to preach the whole Bible in my lifetime. We'll we'll see. Um, That was just a whole lot of info that I didn't do first service, so I have no idea why I said that. But I'm going to pray now, and then we're really going to get into what's important. So let me pray, and we'll be at uh, 1344. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time where we can get together around your word, and I pray that it would do as you've promised, that it would teach us, it would instruct us, it would train us in righteousness, that it would convict us, it would comfort us, it would do all these things by the power of the Spirit. And I pray for everyone's heart here, including my own, that we all need to hear from you. We all need to be moved by your word. We all need to be more sanctified. We all have places we need to confess sin. We need to repent. Or we just need to feel the comfort of the Spirit. So would you come now and move? I pray, Lord, that you would help me, especially that you would birth down deep in my heart a passion for the glory of Jesus that would be expressed um, truthfully and honestly, and that um, we would see Christ lifting off the pages of Scripture and see him in his beauty and see him in his glory. That would be an extraordinary gift, Lord. So we pray for that this morning. We know that you can do that. So would you come now? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in our third of three sermons on the parables. And so I want to give you just a little bit of review so you can understand what's going on. It's a little bit different review than maybe the past two weeks. But um, there is one thing you need to know if you haven't been with us at all. You can look at verses 10 through 17 and see why there are parables. If you have no idea why Jesus is speaking in parables, you can look at verses 10 through 17 and see. And basically, here's what's going on. In the book of Matthew, all 28 chapters, there are five teaching discourses, five big, huge times where Jesus is going to teach. And we've kind of inserted ourselves into chapter 13. We've been going through it. And this is the third of all five. And this third one is a little bit different than the other two. The other two, Jesus just gives the Sermon on the Mount and tells the gospel. In chapter 10, Jesus just tells people how to be on mission and sends them out. Here, instead of just kind of being direct, he's telling, he's storytelling. He's telling what's known as parables. And that's where a parable is basically like, here's a big idea, but I'm going to tell it to you in a story. And the reason why is he has certain people he wants to hear this truth. And so he's going to tell it in an everyday life. And they're going to hear that everyday life story, but they're also going to hear the deeper, deeper spiritual truth that's going with the parable. But then there's another group of people. All they're going to hear is just a story about pearls. All they're going to hear is just a story about seed. And that's and they're going to walk away thinking they heard a, a farming story, but that's really it. And that's why he's telling parables here. So in the outline of Matthew, there's seven parables that we're going to be that we've been looking at. The first one, which we did week one, was just the first one. And that's the parable of the soils. And that soil kind of talks about our heart. Do we have a hard heart that just, that just pushes away the gospel? Do we have a shallow heart where we think about Jesus for a little bit, but there's no root? And so we, we walk away. 
Are there thorns in that soil that come up and pull away Jesus? Or do we have good soil? Whenever we hear the gospel, we believe in Jesus. That's kind of that first parable we did. And then there's another six, which we've looked at. We looked at three last week and we looked at three this week. And these Matthew and and Jesus tends to give these these parables to us in in couples and sets of two. And so that's what we looked at last week. Last week, we started with the weeds. And that was really about um, the final day of judgment will come where he's going to separate those who are in Christ and those who aren't. And those who are in Christ will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And those who are not in Christ will go to the fiery furnace. will go to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so that, that parable of the weeds that he tells us um, is really talking about the supremacy of Christ to be the final judge, the final uh, person that gives judgment that day. And then he gives two more parables, which we saw last week, the mustard seed and the leaven. And those two have the same meaning. Pretty much the exact same meaning that the kingdom of heaven starts with small, humble beginnings. The mustard seed's tiny. Leaven is just a little bit. And when it works itself through, it's extensive and it's pervasive. Very similar to the tiny little humble beginnings Jesus had as being born in a horse trough and then becoming the kingdom of all heaven and earth and, and being the king of all heaven. Now, we believe in the eternal incarnation, or the eternal uh, parts of Jesus where he was always he was always. Um, God before, but he, when he incarnated himself and he became a man, he had very humble beginnings and, and he goes to be a human forever, king of everything. And then that's what those first, those next two are. And now we're looking at the last three parables today. And just like the, the mustard seed and the leaven have the same meaning today, our first two have the exact same meaning. The, the parable of the treasure and pearl, they virtually have the exact same meaning. And then we have a third one, which is the net. Now here's the interesting thing. The net has the exact same meaning as the weeds, the first one we did last week. And so Jesus is bookending these great glorious things about the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, where it's pervasive and extensive and has humble beginnings and our faith can become unbelievable and the great value that we have in Jesus. He bookends both of those with the weeds and the net and they have the exact same meaning. Why? We're going to get to that at the end. If I tell you now, I don't have any conclusion. So I want to have a conclusion. So we're going to have a conclusion with that. But that's that's the layout of the parables. And that's that's where we are today. Now, I want you to look at verse 36 for me. This is important um, because we start at 44. And if we miss this thing in 36, we're going to we're not going to understand something. Look at 36. It says, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him. We can just stop there. That's all you need to know. This is what the point is. Last week, the the uh, the weeds and the mustard seed and the leaven, those three parables were told to great crowds. Um, people. And then after he does that, he goes into the house and he explains the weeds, that first one, and then he's going to do three more, the three we're doing today. So these three parables we're doing today are not to great crowds. They're just to the disciples. And in this, we can see that there is, in these three parables that we're looking at, um, a deeper calling to them, a go sell everything and follow me kind of calling. So this is a a deeper calling. And listen, if you're in Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then this applies to you. You're getting this calling today. This is a deeper calling to you if you're in Christ. Now, all seven of these things is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven? What is that? Um, The kingdom of heaven kind of has a double meaning. There is a kingdom of heaven that is to come. But also we know that the kingdom of heaven is here now. It's both. And we kind of, even though it's here now and it's to come, we live in between those two worlds trying to figure out how to 
live for that kingdom, but also live where it's already, but not yet set up as well now. And that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like. It's these parables that deal with everyday situations, explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a glorious thing. And that's what he's doing here. So we're going to jump in at verse 44 um, and look at those last three that are given just to the disciples. Now, here's one thing you should know. Um, 1988, someone handed me a tape. Um, If you were born in the late 80s, a tape is a thing you put into this little thing. You put it and you push play and it's got little. Anyway, um, so a guy handed me a tape in 1998 and he said, this is a sermon. You got to hear this. This is unbelievable. Um, And and it was a guy by the name of John Piper. And to this day, like to that day in 1998, I had never in my life. I mean, I was I was old by then. I was 20 something. But um, anyway, so to that day, I'd never heard anybody preach with such passion in my life. I'd never heard anybody talk about Jesus and be that excited about knowing him and the joy that Jesus gives to him. I never. And so I immediately went out and bought one of his books, um, Desiring God. And, you know, in one of those chapters, he kind of unpacks 1344, this verse that we're going to be looking at. So it's nearly impossible. I didn't read any John Piper this week, but it's nearly impossible for me to interpret this text without having some kind of flavor of him. So... Just know as I'm looking at least at this first parable that I'm going to be kind of in my mind subliminally, if that's the right word, look at peeping over the shoulders of John Piper trying to interpret this text. I know it'll have a flavor of him as well um, in, 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 in any way I try to interpret it. So way we're going to do this is we're going to take the three parables at a time and it's going to kind of unpack phrase by phrase. Um, and, and the big idea here in this first one, we can go ahead and put it up here. The first parable to the disciples is about the hidden treasure and it's the kingdom of heaven is of such great value. It's worth every sacrifice. It's worth every sacrifice you can make. The kingdom of heaven is worth trading everything in your life for. The kingdom of heaven um, is of infinite value. It's of absolute infinite value. You look at it here. It says again, not again, it says 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a man, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He sells all that he has and buys that field. And we can already see in this particular parable and even in the next one that this text in the next one makes some of the greatest cases for what's known as irresistible grace in all the Bible. Meaning that once the grace of God has been revealed to you, the grace of God in the cross, the glory of being forgiven of all your sin. Once that beautiful truth has been shown to you that you can know Christ, look how infinitely beautiful Christ is. All of your sin, past, present, and future, all of it has been put on Jesus for you and you can be forgiven. Once you hear that and God regenerates your heart, opens up your heart, you're born again, and you see that, all you're going to do is say, yes, that's what this man does. Once he seals, sees the treasure, all he wants to do is go sell everything he can, he can have in order to purchase that particular thing. This is one of the greatest texts in the Bible that shows us this um, irresistible grace that God draws us with. Um, now, this is a treasure hidden in a field. So let's look at it. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. 
It's hidden in a field. Calvin says that this hidden nature, um, it was discovered by this man, but this hidden nature is why people who aren't yet believers have such a disdain for the gospel. Whenever you tell them about it, the truth of the glory of the beautifulness of being forgiven is hidden from them. And that's why they don't enjoy or understand the gospel. That's why they have such a disdain for it. So just as a an extra application for you, how beautiful it is to be the kind of believer that wants to uncover the truths of the gospel for them and show it to them. Isn't that just extraordinary privilege we have to know Christ and be able to uncover the truths? It's hidden. They don't like it. So let's all be a part of joining the part of the part of being a believer and uncovering it for them. Now, it says this, that it was like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Found and covered up. It sounds like he's like walking around. He sees a treasure. He sees this treasure and he's like, oh, treasure. I want this treasure. I'm going to cover it up. How can I get this? I'm going to you know, go over here and, and talk this man down. Hey, let me let me talk you down. You don't want that field. It's garbage. Um, and yeah, I'll give you this. And then I'm going to sell everything. I have. Now I've got the best treasure in the world. It's not like Jesus is kind of um, trying to say, well, this is how you ought to do. You ought to be a swindler. You ought to find things like it's a parable. OK, it's just a parable. Don't worry about details in parables. The whole point of this is that the that the kingdom of heaven is of infinite value. Jesus is not trying to tell you to go out and be swindlers. Remember, this is a parable, and in everyday situations in life, they're very familiar with this. So 2,000 years ago, if you're walking through a field or you're working a field and an owner has it, if you find something and you lift it up, then it becomes that owner of the field's property. But if you leave it in there and you know it's there and you cover it up and you go buy it, whenever you come back, then if it's lifted up, if you own the field, it's yours. And so everybody that's here in this parable knew this. And so Jesus, that's why he uses the language when he says a man found it and covered it up. He just it's highlighting for us or emphasizing for us the great value of the kingdom. Nothing else. All right. That's all it's trying to show. So we keep going. And then it says this. He covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all. Now, sometimes we just go right to the goes and sells all and we skip those three words in his joy, in his joy. I don't want to skip those three words because these three words really kind of revolutionize for me what it means to be a believer in Jesus. I'm going to read you just a couple of verses from the scriptures, and there are hundreds, just a couple of verses that highlight for us this infinite joy we can have in knowing Christ. Here's one. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You think this world offers pleasures. You think that this world offers joy. Those things are ashes for the dung heap compared to knowing Jesus. That's the language Paul uses in Philippians three. Those things are scubala compared to knowing the joy of knowing Christ Jesus. There is no pleasure. There is no joy more higher than knowing Christ. Another one, Psalm 21, 6. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Being in the presence of God brings to you the highest level of joy there is. We might not experience that in this fallen Genesis 3 world, but this is the truth. Here's another one. Psalm 8410. Just notice where he would rather be for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the house of wickedness. And there are scores and scores of other verses that tell us that the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of knowing Jesus is more valuable than anything else. In this parable, 
what Jesus is trying to tell us is, is after you go sell all, because of the joy it gives you, you're never going to find yourself coming back with the treasure in your hand saying, I want my stuff back. I don't want this treasure anymore. I want my stuff back because knowing Jesus is the ultimate joy. Knowing Jesus as treasure never disappoints you and only and always fulfills you. So in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has. The reason why he goes and sells all that he has is because following Jesus means everything in your life. It means everything. It always has meant everything. To know Christ means I must be willing to give up everything to know him. John Calvin says it this way. He says, the gospel doesn't receive from us the respect it deserves unless we prefer the gospel to all the riches. We should prefer the gospel compared to the riches. We should prefer prefer the gospel compared to pleasures or honors or advantages in this world. The gospel should be the most supreme thing in our affections compared to anything else that this world has to offer. And to such an extent that we are satisfied with the spiritual blessings which it promises. And we throw aside everything that would keep us from enjoying these gospel blessings. This is the exact same language Paul uses in Philippians 3 that I just referenced. He, he makes this big list. I was a Hebrew of he, Hebrews. I was a zealot. I was killing everybody. I was doing all these things. I was, I was earning. It seems to be if anybody could ever earn, say that they were earning a right standing with God, I was doing it. And then he looks at over here on this other side of the ledger. And he says, on this side of the ledger, those were all the things I had. But on this side of the ledger, knowing Jesus. Which one makes more sense? And he says, knowing Jesus compared to all those things, all those things right there are just scubala. They're just big, huge pile of dung compared to, I mean, that's really the exact translation, compared to knowing Jesus. I count everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is what the point of Philippians 3 is saying. And this is what Jesus is saying, that we must be willing to go and sell all that we have, all that we have in order to know Christ in order to buy that field. So let's ask this question this way. Here's the question I want us all to kind of to think about, to drill down into a little bit of practical application for you right now. Think about your own heart. Think about your own life. Think about the, the um, life that you've had in Christ if you're in Christ. Um, after you were saved, what sacrifices did that salvation come with? What sacrifices? Sometimes, if we have to think for a while, we'll think, well, maybe not a lot. Let me say it this way. Let's just use the verse. What does it look like for you to go and sell all you have? I think that's a good question. This is how the the kingdom of heaven is supposed to come to us. So what does it look like for you to go and sell all that you have? Now, it's going to be different. I'm going to say it. It's going to be different for all of us. But it seems from the verse that it's worth every single sacrifice we should make. When I say the kingdom of heaven is of such great value, it is worth every sacrifice. And that just implies that sacrifices have been made. Now, I want to say something because this is, this is key. Because as soon as we go to this next phrase, we could get theologically confused. Because he says, he sells all that he has and he buys that field. So all of a sudden we're thinking sacrifice, we're thinking buying the field, and so automatically our theological wheels could be saying heresy, heresy, and here's what's going on. I'm not trying to say, and Jesus obviously is not trying to say, that you are somehow earning or buying your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm What Jesus is trying to say, instead of saying that you buy your salvation, he is rather 
emphasizing the great value of the kingdom. That's what he's trying to do is emphasize for you the great value of the kingdom. And he's saying that disciples of Jesus, men and women are going to, when they see the surpassing worth of being forgiven in the gospel, they're going to buy that field. That's what they're going to do. They want it. They can do nothing. The truth of the gospel has taken a hold of their heart. They've been shown that Jesus is the most precious reality and treasure in all of the world. And they want him. And it costs something. D.A. Carson says it this way. Um, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. There is a cost in being a disciple of Christ. It, that cost doesn't mean you've somehow bought or, or purchased your salvation. You've earned it. It's given to you as a free gift. And when it's given to you as a free gift, that process of becoming a disciple, it hurts. And it's difficult. And it costs something. And what Jesus is trying to say is that process of becoming a disciple is difficult as it is. When you compare that to the infinite value of the kingdom of heaven, that is so much more valuable. So it's worth it. It's worth it to be a disciple. He says, and those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. And those who know where the treasure lies, they joyfully abandon everything. Everything else there is in their life in order to secure it. So this is where I think we can start getting personal and practical. This is where the rubber starts meeting the road for us. When we start talking about this cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship in all of our lives is is difficult. Being a Christian can mean a lot of things. Um, For those that aren't in Christ, there is no sense in which they need to kill sin in their life. But for those that are in Christ, when the Holy Spirit presses in and says, that sin's got to go, all of a sudden there's a cost in this discipleship. I, I don't want to do this anymore because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. This is hard work. This being a disciple is hard laying off this sin, letting the Holy Spirit put to death this sin in my life. Colossians 3, 5, put to death the sins in your life. Romans eight thirteen. Put to death sin in your life. This is difficult work. Or another cost of discipleship is once I decide to follow Jesus, all of a sudden I may be persecuted. I may have people speak of me and this is difficult. But what Jesus is wanting you to see is though that might happen, knowing Christ is infinitely more valuable. This microphone is killing me. Um, So the challenge for us is this then. The challenge for us is this. When we look at verse 44, we should try to insert ourselves into that and be the chief actor. Meaning, whenever we look at a man who finds a treasure and goes and sells all that he has in order to buy that treasure, may we all willingly part with, be willing to part with anything and everything in order to have Christ in our life. And I just want to say, what is that thing for you? What is it? Because knowing Christ is infinitely more valuable than anything in your life. That's the challenge of verse 44 for us. Going into 45 and 46, we're going to the second parable. And the second parable, as I've said, is very similar to the first one. It's got a very much of the same meaning. But there's a little bit of a difference. One little twist on it, which we're going to let you see. Let's look at it. Um, we can go ahead and put up the second one here. The, the pearl of great value. And here's the point. The kingdom of heaven is of such great value. We should sell all to acquire it. It's very similar to the first one where we say it's worth every sacrifice. This one, sell all to acquire it. 
This one's carrying the same meaning as the as the treasure, but there's a little twist. It says again, and that's how I know it's telling us the same thing because of the word again. So he's just saying again. So the same thing that you just thought about in 44. Think about this in 45 and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like, and now notice this, a merchant in search of fine pearls. So he's switching the teachings. He's going from treasure hunting in a field to a merchant who likes pearls. Um, Again, these are all everyday scenarios for them. A merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought that one pearl. Now, let's look at a couple things here. First, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search. This is the difference. This is the difference from the first one. You just have this kind of man, just Joe Blow stumbling along through a treasure and he kind of trips over. He's like, oh, there it is. There's a treasure. Wow. And this is how some of you might have been saved. You might have just been walking through the woods, if you will. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up to you and tells you the gospel. Someone invited you to a church. You weren't looking for Jesus or salvation or the gospel at all. But the truth just came to you out of nowhere. And when it came, you said, yes, this is the most amazing news I've ever had. I'm going to sell all I can, but all I have, because I want that. That's the first one. But the second one is a difference. This is a, a merchant in search of. This is maybe the intellect. But this is someone who's searching for truth, searching for truth, searching for truth. And he's trying to find God. And then one day he comes and it says... On finding one pearl of great value. Now remember, this was a a pearl owner. He had all kinds of pearls. But he finds one that's of infinitely great value than the other. And he says, all these other pearls that I have, I'm going to go take all these things because they're nothing compared to those. I'm going to get rid of all of them. I throw them all away because all those things compare nothing to this one pearl. Now that I've found this, this is all I want. I'm going to sell all those other ones and just have This one. And this is just like the man who's searching for truth, finding that religion, finding that religion, finding that religion, finding that religion. And all of a sudden, one day, he comes to Christ. Christ is revealed, I don't, whatever circumstance. And he takes, he surveys all those other things and he says, all those things, get rid of it all. I have found the one true pearl, the one true message, the one true gospel of salvation. I know how to know God now. And it's through Christ. I'm getting rid of everything else. I'm selling everything I helps. And I'm buying that one. That's the real one. So that's, that's kind of the point that he's trying to make. So in the, in the first century application here, when you see this, Jesus is talking about this merchant in search of fine pearls. That is probably the man in search of God through religious heritage of being Jewish. And he's trying to earn salvation through works. And then he finds Christ. And that's the meaning of this first century verse. But the the principle that we can lift out is what I just said. Today, a man of search through God, probably through all the religions of the world. But then he finds the infinite value of Christ. He finds this pearl of great value. And so for us that are in Christ, one of the things that we're. One of the things I think that we're challenged with is this. This man, just like the man before is willing, joyfully willing to let go of all the other trivial things of the world. He doesn't want them anymore. And so for us, what are these trivial things in your life that keep you from knowing and following Jesus the way that he wants you to? 
He wants us to let go of these things. On finding this great pearl, he wants to get, get rid of everything else. That's all he wants to know. He goes and he sells everything. There's no reason to search any further what he has been searching for. He's finally found the greatest news and he's willing to, willing to exchange everything else now to follow Christ. Now, remember, he's talking to the disciples. They want to know. I mean, every one of them except for John are going to be killed. And John's going to be boiled in oil and sent out to the Isle of Patmos to be there for the rest of his life. And they're wanting to know, is it worth it? Is being a disciple worth it? Is the kingdom of heaven of infinite value? And Jesus knows they're thinking this and he's saying, yes, it's worth it. It's worth it following me. Knowing Christ is of infinite value, even if it costs everything and to the disciples, even your very life. Jesus knew who he was talking to. He meant even your very life. That's probably not the case for us. That's probably not the case for us. It might be. But if they're the heroes of this and Jesus knew their future, if that's what it meant for them, surely it means whatever you're thinking right now in your life that I should probably be getting rid of. What is the thing that if I say, what does it mean to go sell all in order to follow Christ? Surely it means that. Surely. So let me read this quote to you. This is (laughs) I love this. This is a commentator talking about these kinds of people who are well, who are willing to sell all income. And as you hear it, I just want you to say or think about this is the kind of woman or man I want to be. Listen to this. He says they come speaking of those who are willing to sell all those believers. They come running irresistibly. Because they would have it no other way. You can put all kinds of obstacles in their path. But they are men and women of violence. Not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. They are going to take the kingdom by force. In other words, they would do anything to ascertain, to grasp a hold of this forgiveness of Christ. Then he says, when they find this pearl, they're going to sell everything they have and get it. That treasure, that hidden treasure, it's going to be theirs. They are going to have it because they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. Oh, how glorious it would be if we had men and women in remedy who think this way. I'm going to ascertain and take hold of Jesus. No matter what it is, I'm willing to sell everything in order to know him, in order to have the kingdom of heaven in my heart now. How glorious it would be to have men and women, not just in remedy, but in Rock Hill, all of the city. So let's notice now. In these two parables, there's a little bit of a process that this man goes through. Kind of four stages, if you will. And I just want to review this before we go into the third one. There's a four-step four, way, a four step process, if you will. And um, this is just the parables. This doesn't mean this is how it works for everybody. It says the first thing, that they notice the great value of the treasure and pearl. So they notice the great value of the good news of the gospel. That's the first thing they did. After that, they determined that they were going to have that great prize. Adjustments in their, in their priorities had to happen. Lifestyle changes were probably meaning that had to come. But then the third thing is they sold everything in order to make that purchase. They determined they were going to have it. And when they determined they were going to have it, they did what was necessary. And here it says they sold everything in order to make the purchase. This is along the same lines that Martin Luther wrote in one of his songs. Let good and kindreds go this, mor- this mortal life also. Everything that we have, I am willing to hold it through my hands loosely if it means knowing the surpassing value of Jesus. I'm willing to let it all go because being saved cannot be purchased or earned. And when Jesus calls me to himself, 
there is a cost in being his disciple, which I want to do because his kingdom is of infinite more value. So that's the third thing. They sold everything to make the purchase. And then lastly, they acquired the treasure. They didn't just sell everything and kind of stand there in neutral nowhere land. They got the treasure and they were joyful of it. It brought them great joy. If you're in Christ, you have acquired the treasure. Think about that for a second. The treasure. The greatest treasure in human history ever in creation. If you're in Christ, you have acquired it. Search no further for joy. It is yours now. That's remarkable. Their heart was set on this treasure. There was an individual appropriation. There was a, a personal grasping of it. And when they had it, this, they appropriated, they brought them to themselves. They appropriated or grasped it by faith, which was a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8. And now they're in Christ and they enjoy the treasure forevermore. And that's where, if you're in Christ, where you are now, that is a beautiful place to be. Now, there's there's a second, there's a third parable that we're going to do that we're going to look at. And so now that you have ascertained or grasped or taken hold of this treasure, there's one last thing that Jesus wants you to think of. He bookended it with the weeds and here he's bookended it with the net. And there's one last thing he wants you to think of now that this this mustard seed and leaven and the pervasiveness of the kingdom of heaven in your life, though it takes small beginnings, will have this ultimate, awesome, great fruition. And you have the treasure and you have the pearl. And just it shows you how glorious it is to know Christ. He doesn't want you to forget something. That's why he ends it with the net and begins it with the weeds. And that's this. All of us know people that don't know Jesus. Every single one of us knows people that don't know Jesus. And what he's wanting to do as he's ending these parables is he's wanting to remind us of that and not ever forget that we have a responsibility as we're on this side of telling them about Christ. We can't just enjoy the treasure and leave other people just to figure it out for themselves. And that's what this last parable is. Let's look at it. And it has, as I said, the parable of the net has the exact same meaning as the parable of the weeds. The exact same meaning. Look at it net. Um, it's, it's in two parts. 47 and 48 is the parable. 49 and 50 is kind of an explanation, if you will, of the parable. Really, it's kind of a, a rephrasing of the weeds that we're going to see in 42. Look at this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. So you can just see the big dragnet of Jesus being thrown out into the world and gathering all kinds of men, good and evil. And it says this in 48. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. You can just visually see the big dragnet judgment of Jesus dragging men and women, good and bad in. And then the sorting, which we've seen in the weeds, is done by the angels um, where good will go into the kingdom of heaven and the bad or those who are not in Christ, those who are not believers in the gospel are sorted um, and thrown away. And then you can see in 48 and Jesus says, so it will be with the close of the age, the end of the age, which is the exact same phrasing he uses at the very end of verse 40 when he says, so it will be at the close of the age. So we can see that there's a repetition here. And notice um, as it says, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous Throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's look up 
if you will, at verse 40. Um, and I want you to read verse 40 with me. Or the very end of 39 says, The harvest is the close of the end of age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather um, out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why does Jesus bookend these parables with these things? Why does He bookend with... All the parables with these two. Specifically, when we look at the weeds and then we look at this parable, the net, actually the weeds is more descriptive. It's got more language. It tells us more. And here it just it's more brief. There's a reminder. But the, the brevity of this particular um, parable, what we should notice is what are the exact same words that are being used in the weeds and being used here? The words are in verse 50. Fiery furnace, which is in 42, and weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is in 42. Descriptors, horrible descriptors of hell. So here's why I think Jesus is bookending these glorious things about the gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven with the weeds in the net. Is this. Because this is a truth, this reality of hell. This is a truth that we quickly try to forget. We quickly try to forget it. It's uncomfortable. The nature of when we think about it makes us feel very uncomfortable. But hell is real. Hell is forever. And it is terrible. And we can't just find ourselves ending with the treasure and the pearl and saying, I've got the treasure. My work is done. We can't find ourselves there. That is not where he wants us to end. He wants us to know the realities of hell, that there are people around us. And it must compel us, this last net, when we hear about fiery furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth, these descriptors are to compel us that we would never grow weary. We would never grow tired of wanting to tell people that don't know Jesus about them so that they can come and sell everything and know Christ as their treasure. He needs to remind us of that because you and I will quickly forget that. It is not a truth that we want to think on and dwell on. I know myself, maybe you're different, but I don't think of that very often. It makes me uncomfortable. But Jesus is not warning us to forget that the dragnet of Jesus is being thrown out and judgment will be given to those who don't know him. There's a coming judgment and the fate of those that don't know him is going to be terrible. Now, he goes into 51 and 52, and I think that 51 and 52 help us understand that what we just learned. You don't just stay at treasure, but you've been given a responsibility. Look at the scores of people, as Matthew seven thirteen says, that are going to go to the fiery furnace, that are going to go to the weeping and gnashing of teeth and feel something. Feel something about that. Be moved by that. Never grow weary. Don't forget that truth. And then he tells them in 51 and 52 about it. This is what he says. He looks at the disciples in 51. <laughs> I love this. And he says, have you understood all these things? And I'm assuming this is Peter. 
Peter's like, they said to him, they, it says they, but he, yes, I don't believe that for a second. I mean, I just don't believe for a second that they understood. But maybe like, all right, we pressed our luck in asking for those other two. Let's just say yes. We don't want him to think we're complete. I'm, this is all conjecture. That's not true at all, probably. And, and so here's the thing at 52. Notice that they ask this question and then he goes into 52. Now, uh, some commentators, D.A. Carson says that this is an eighth parable. Spurgeon, Boyce, uh, they say that those are seven, and th- th- those are the other seven. And this last verse 52 is not necessarily an eighth parable, but just a conclusion. Uh, who knows? Those guys are smarter than me. I have no idea. Look at, let's look at it, though. I, I will say, look, in 52, it does say the kingdom of heaven is like there in 52. And so did all the other parables. They say that. So perhaps it is. But there's no doubt if it's a parable or just a conclusion, it's a conclusion for sure. It's a concluding parable if it's a parable. And it says, therefore, this is kind of tricky. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So let's just remember our um, this is first century language. And so he's talking to those who are scribes, talking to those in first century who were pursuing knowing God through Jewish heritage, Jewish law keeping. Those people were the scribes. And he looks at him and he says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. So now we're seeing that these scribes were probably the teachers of the law are now trained for the kingdom of heaven. They have become disciples of Jesus. And now that they're disciples of Jesus, there is an allegiance to Jesus, which follows, which means if you're in Christ, this is descriptive of you. You are one of those people who are now trained for the kingdom of heaven like a master of the house. You may not feel that way, but this is what's true if you're a disciple. And so what's your task? Notice what's your task is to bring out of his treasure what is new and what is old. But if I understood what that meant, I would try to do that. Let's try to look at it. Um, let's, this is what I think that what he's saying. He's saying that this new and old is talking about the covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant, the new testament, and the old covenant, the new testament. And what he's saying is, all those things that are talked about in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, the fulfillments of all these things, of the Messiah, of the law keeping, all those things find their fulfillment in Jesus. So the New Covenant is not being added to the Old. Rather, the New Covenant is renewing the Old. It's fulfilling the Old. And so for us, we're looking at this and he's saying, if I have moved into now a disciple that's trained for the kingdom, A full-fledged allegiance must follow with that. I must follow Jesus fully. And he's saying, that's what's true of you now. If you're a disciple, you must have this full-fledged allegiance to Jesus. And by having that, you should um, be a disciple that goes out and tells people that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And since he's a fulfillment of all these things, this is what your life should look like. The kingdom of heaven, don't miss this, the kingdom of heaven now coming to you is not some kind of passive appendage or attachment that you put to your hip in this nice, easy life that you have here in America in 2012. Instead, the kingdom of heaven is something that comes actively into your life. It demands everything in your life. It demands your all. It demands your full allegiance to God. And now you're going to follow him, whatever the cost, whatever the cost. That's what it means to now be trained as a master of the house. I am willing to say, Jesus, you get everything. 
I'm not going to passively just say, my life has been easy without you, but heaven sounds good, so I'll let you kind of join in with me as I go through life. John Piper says it's harder to walk the Calvary Road here in America than in any other country. It's like living in Disneyland. You don't see your need for Jesus. I think that's pretty true. It's more difficult sometimes because there are so many worldly distractions where you think, well, I can just hear Jesus. We can walk through my life. Congratulations, you get to join me. And that's not what he's saying. That's not what it is. It's he is actively coming into your life, demanding everything, demanding everything. And you're supposed to count the cost and say, I am going to sell everything I have in order to buy it. Now, that's the first point of conclusion is being a disciple means everything. But there's a little second point. I want you to see this. Remember, in 51, he just said, have you understood these things? And they said, yes. So and then he says, therefore. So based on the fact that you understand these things, I want you now to therefore go and be this kind of disciple. So based on the fact that you as a disciple understand now you're to go and be a disciple and teach others. That's basically what he's saying here is that since you understand now you have an important responsibility that you're to go disciple and teach others so that they not just become a disciple, but they become themselves a teacher that disciples. Read 2 Timothy 2.2. Four generations right there of disciple making. And this is the exact sign of disciple you're trying to, that Jesus is calling you into. A disciple teacher that goes and makes other disciples that they go and they teach other disciples so that they can do others. That's, this is gener, uh, generational discipleship that's supposed to be going on. That's the kind of disciples that you're trying to, that God wants you to make as he's saying, have you understood these things? You're trained now for the kingdom of heaven. Go. Go. So as a conclusion, he's telling you this. The gospel of the kingdom has come and it's been revealed to you that it's of infinite value. Your full allegiance and whatever the cost is, is expected. You have the task, but based on all the fact that there are people going to be going to the fiery furnace, there are people that are going to be going to the weeping of gnashing of teeth. You have a task now to go make disciples. So if you're not in Christ, your, your conclusion or your assignment or your challenge right now is receive the kingdom. Receive this message of the kingdom today. Become a follower of Christ. But if you are in Christ, your message is this. And we're going to move all the way back to that very first parable of the soils. Where there, our responsibility now is to no matter, we don't know the soils. We're going to take this gospel and broadcast it. We're going to throw out the seed of the gospel into every single heart that we can. Because you have no idea whether God's going to save them. And so, for us that are in Christ, what he's wanting us to do is spread the message of the kingdom. Not live a life that says, Jesus, you can attach yourself to my nice happy life and we'll go out through this together. But instead, you demand my all. I'm going to sell everything I have in order to know Christ. I'm willing to do whatever you want. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is coming to you saying today. And where are you with that? Have you found yourself going through life 
where Jesus is just the one that keeps you from hell. Nothing further. That doesn't sound like the parables. That doesn't sound like the message of the parables. The message of the parables is that it has small beginnings, humble, but it is extensive and pervasive in our life. It is worth of infinite value, worth any sacrifice that you would have to make. You would sell everything you have because you know that there are people that don't know him and you are to broadcast this seed to everybody. Broadcast this message to everyone because Jesus is of infinite value to you. That's the message of the parables. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, we we just confess that we need you. I pray for my friends now that if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, may they receive the message of the kingdom this morning. Would you reveal yourself as infinitely beautiful? Reveal yourself as irresistible. Quicken their hearts and they put their faith in you. Seeing you as unbelievable. They can't imagine infinite forgiveness being extended to them and they want it. And they know that they would never say anything else besides, I I want that treasure forevermore. Would you regenerate hearts this morning? Would you find people to be born again? And for those that are in Christ, Lord, it's, it's so easy to walk through this life and not be about the kingdom of heaven. So would you show us now that knowing Jesus is of infinite value and that we are to spread this gospel. Lord, I pray for us all, if, if this has not been our lives, may we do the work of prayer right now in this worship set. May we ask for forgiveness. May we confess it, knowing all the while that Romans 8, 1 is always true. We are not condemned if we're in Christ. That you're in love with us now, not us later, but now, because that's the message of the kingdom. And that we would resolve today to think about what does it mean in my life to go and sell all? And we would sell all in order to know the infinite value of the kingdom of heaven. To know Christ Jesus, not just our Savior, not just our Lord, but our treasure. Be with us now as we worship. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.